0: When you don't have somebody calling you up and asking you where are your monthly numbers and what is it that you're doing and they're not showing up at your doorstep, you get to build your company in a very different way.
1: So welcome back. We are rewriting the playbook and we are your hosts, Ania Williams.
0: And Del Del Medina.
1: Del. Del. How are you feeling today? What's going on in your world?
0: I'm doing really well, thanks. Uh, I'm here in Philly, in Philadelphia, the wonderful city. Uh, I'm really enjoying the heat and the humidity uh, and the delicious food that's all around me.
1: Yeah, have you like gained five pounds since you got there last week?
0: I've sweated (laughs) off five pounds just being in the heat.
1: So we're here from the Black and Brown Founders team. Uh, Dell, do you want to tell these folks what it is that we do?
0: Yeah, we are engaging Black and or Latinx founders on helping them build the best tech companies possible. Uh, and we do that in several different ways. Uh, we're looking to build some online resources and we're always trying to engage founders out there who are looking to build tech in their own ways. And you can find us on BB Founders on Twitter and Insta. And what is our website, Ania?
1: blackandbrownfounders.com. If you are black and or Latinx and you want to build a tech company and you are cash-strapped, we should be your best friends. <laughs> no, we've got lots of lots of good things coming at you. We um, we had our first episode so far, kind of a nice, fun um, introducer. What does Hustle mean to you? Capturing some really awesome footage from Hustle House that we did at South by Southwest in March. But we wanted to kind of jump over to a new topic today, we're going to be talking about how to launch a company when investors ain't writing checks. How do you do this when you're cash strapped? We're going to talk about that as a, at a high level.
0: And a reminder to people, we're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so you can support our work by donating at blackandbrownfounders.com.
1: Yes. And speaking of support, uh, we want to make sure that we give a shout out to one of our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Aslo as low oh, oh. is, oh, 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 is a zero fee small banking business platform that helps entrepreneurs like us start grow and succeed on their own terms because financial freedom is deciding your own future hallelujah yeah let's just like let that marinate for a second right in other news we just announced not too long ago as a as of the time of this recording that's um, right drum roll from <laughs> Project North Star. That's um, right. Yeah, we're so excited. Oh, my gosh, which actually has to do with why, Dell, you were in Philly today. Um, why don't we tell people what it's about? What is Project North Star, Dell?
0: We're really excited to be in partnership with the city of Philadelphia and a lot of the great community groups here to put together a tech conference that centers black and or Latinx people. Uh, It is a tech conference. So that means that you're gonna come, you're gonna learn from experts that look like you, who've had similar experiences to you, uh, who have built companies, who have worked at tech companies. It's really exciting to be working with people who understand and realize what the opportunity in the innovation economy is, and that it needs to be opened up to other people who don't necessarily look like themselves, um, and to highlight the talent that we know already exists within our communities but is often not invited to talk about their professionalism.
1: And you know, even to go back to the goals of North Star, uh, we are really looking at how do we get more black and brown people working in the innovation economy? And uh, we're looking at pathways to, to economic security at the end of the day. Um, we are looking at entrepreneurship as one of those pathways and also the workforce working in tech jobs and what opportunities and what ways that can change the trajectory of your life, Um, which actually is a really great segue into um, what we are going to talk about today because we're going to talk about the entrepreneurship pathway. Del, you and I talk a lot about this idea that that it offers uh, an opportunity to be able to build the life that you want. Um, and so today we want to discuss our model for how people can get from idea to revenue when you're not getting a lot of cash or you don't have a lot of resources around you. I, I want to start this off by saying, Dell, you were the first person that said this, and now I'm like, this is like my new motto about black and brown <laughs> founders, that we're not anti-VC, we are pro-revenue. And that means a lot of things to us. I would say, first and foremost, I, I actually, I think I was Twitter ranting about this earlier this week or last week about the fact that I feel like too many companies that are tech companies and exist today, their their business model is fundraising um, and not, not making money from customers. Uh, and at the end of the day, like we're here to, to generate profitable businesses. That's what all of this is about. But I think that there's a lot to be said about the approach and the ways in which that happens. I think that the narrative around building tech businesses always comes back to investment and venture capital around these parts. And I think that we need a new narrative around this.
0: But there's a reason for it also. I mean, the people people who get to make a living out of raising money don't look like us. Like, that's the reality. Don't come from our background. So if you are getting the opportunity to build a business based upon fundraising and to go to series, I don't know, D, there's a reason for it because you have access to wealth and have you have access to opportunity. Uh, many of us don't even get to seed stage. There's a reason why the numbers are as dismal for our communities as there are. And that that's also, for me, the opportunity. That's why I say we're not anti-IVC, we're pro-revenue because- I'd rather have people who have money in their pockets and are able to hire and hire equitably and and, and think about long-term perspectives for their employees. Than people who are looking through burn through a, a great amount of cash in a short amount of time to be able to prove that they know how to solve a problem.
1: Because fundraising is like a full-on job when you're doing it, yeah. too. It's not just like, oh, yeah, and I'm just... There's gonna no time to do problem. anything We're else. Just, yeah, it's like yeah, everything is fundraising. And I think even many of the, the tech companies that, that are, are names... Um, if you're if they're out there fundraising, it's it's a good chance that probably the founders or whoever is out there raising the money just kind of disappears from the business while that is happening, because that is everything that they're doing. Um, and so it's it's a challenge for sure. Actually, I think this would be a really good time for us to talk a little bit about venture capital. Dell. I remember you gave try to give people like a quick primer on like what is venture capital, uh, how does that work? So why don't you give us a quick primer on VC?
0: Yeah, so as you said, venture capital is one part of financing um, and the and so when you think of, often people think of financial markets, they think of Wall Street. They don't think of venture capital as something that affects the day-to-day of who they are and where they come from because there is no direct investment from individuals at less than a millionaire level. But the thing is, is that it actually does affect a lot of us. Uh, Venture capital money comes from several different sources. Um, And so at the end of the day, there is a chunk of money that is going into VC that is coming from public markets or from public people, but we don't necessarily have a transparency into it. And that means that the decisions that are being made by these venture capitalists of how this money is being allocated and who's getting a check is a private transaction that has become semi-public thanks to the crunch bases the angels list the many other uh, tools that are now exist where people publicly list who's invested in them or who they're investing in um, and you have access to that information. So um, wait,
1: I want to backtrack a second. Can you even just like explain really quickly like why is it that money from pension funds, endowments from universities and the like big foundations, things like that. Why is that going into venture capital? What's the point? Be-
0: because any any financial institution or anybody who is in charge of large amounts of money needs to be able to diversify and invest in many different things. And in the last couple of years in particular, um, they are investing in venture capital because it is one of the few places where you've had A return on investment that's pretty high in comparison to other things.
1: Right. So just to recap here, the point is for the big pools of money to continue to grow into bigger pools of money. Um, And so... The ideal situation is being able to get bigger returns, right, and diversifying that money in order to keep that growing. So that's kind of the idea as to why investors have investors. And they are basically right, like the agents that get to decide who those investments go into that are expected to then culminate into a large exit that will return the money back plus some to the people who have invested in the funds.
0: And, and going back to this idea of who like when you look at who's who uh, in terms of the partners there's always somebody who's had an exit before there's always someone who comes from uh, that's been that's an engineer that has technical experience that has te- technical expertise uh, that has built a company before and the idea behind that is if you've done it before and you've been successful you can help choose and engage with people that you know also are going to be successful, which also leads to a bias, because what happens is that the people who've had success in the past have been primarily white men with technical degrees and business acumen, and they are also choosing primarily other white men, younger white men who they see themselves reflected in and they see the struggles that they're going through and they see the potential of this person. And when somebody that doesn't present like that shows up in front of their doorstep, they honestly don't know what to do. That in a nutshell makes absolute total sense, except the reality is, is that there is a lot of bias that's baked into the system. And there's and networks, a lot of, I think, yeah, networks. Yeah, networks are a part of the issue because you, if you do not know people like that, you are not going to get an introduction. Um, and how you are perceived and who, how you are considered uh, as a risk goes up if you are a person of color. Let's just be clear, right? Or a woman, yeah, for or sure. Or a woman. Like sure. you're just, you're not part of, you have not been part of the narrative uh, and to want to be a part of the narrative, it requires you to make certain decisions on how you're building your product, how, who you're engaging, all of those things that are really difficult for a lot of us because a lot of us are proud of who we are and where we come from. We don't necessarily want to change our names. We don't necessarily want to downplay who we are. And that's where some of these tensions come into. But going back to how these things work, I think too often... When you are an entrepreneur and you are hearing about like, hey, there's this place in California that if you show up with an idea and somebody's going to give you a check to go on and build that thing, that is not a part of a reality. Like that's part of it. And this is what I think is exciting. Like your ability to build tech today is much cheaper than it was just even two years ago. You know, the reason why this as a methodology was working before was that you needed a million dollars to build a very simple prototype, a very simple beta uh, to show that you had some idea. You needed a million dollars to be able to do that. A lot of us don't come from people who can just cut checks for a million dollars and we can go out and build something, right? Um, it's now becoming cheaper and cheaper to build something. And so your ability to have to fundraise is also going down, mm-hmm. which is also the opportunity.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to, like, put one fine point. So networks, bias, two big issues. The third, like, fine point I'm going to put on this, and then we're going to actually talk about the way we think about this model, is ethics, right? Like And and, dare I use the phrase social impact. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Social impact. Yeah, so, you know, the idea that disruption – and the idea I also think behind getting you know money from investors often, particularly when we're talking about money that's coming from VC funds, is exits of a billion dollars or more. Um, that's the those are the kinds of numbers that they need in order to provide those returns to their investors. And I think that an argument could be made that building a billion dollar business it comes at Typically comes at an extreme social, uh, an economic cost for the people that don't get to benefit from the billion dollars, but more so like resources and and things from them are extracted. Life is extracted in some cases, and so I I always kind of come back to this, and this is me leaning on my my zebra unite uh, hat. My my dazzle is what does it look like to both be thinking about profits and like ethical sustainable business practices not just disruption for the sake of trying to create a new grab of something and dismantle systems in the way that they have worked before at the cost of people who don't already don't don't have enough let's talk about what it could look like if you're starting off modestly you don't have a lot of money and you want to kind of gradually grow it from there um yes what does it look like to be able to launch a company when you're cash strapped so the the simple way that i kind of like to characterize this model is like you want to gather info you want to gather people prototype monetize execute iterate so the first thing that i like to say and i i'm borrowing from things that have come out of my own personal experience here. And also from some amazing thought leaders, um, and two of them that come to mind uh, in particular, who I I love and I lean on really heavily and I very much trust, and I just love watching their businesses grow and thrive. Um, Shout out to Tara Reed from Apple Shout Out and hey hey, and danielle leslie from culture ad labs um they are doing amazing work uh and what they're doing you guys should follow them on we're big fans all the things um you know questions to ask yourself how many hours do i want to be working every week um do i want to be able to take vacations how much money do i want to be making how much money do i have right now What is the minimum amount of money that I can live off of from month to month? And how low will I let my bank account get before I realize that I have to change course? First of all, entrepreneurship is so GD hard. It it sucks more of the time than it's awesome. Um, And it is it's hard. It's isolating. It's going to take you through a series of experiences that if you knew all the things that you were going to experience before you took the leap into being an entrepreneur, you probably wouldn't actually do it. But, um, that said, I think that, you know, the idea is that why you're doing this usually because you're trying to make a better life for yourself. Right. Um, at least I think that's a common case for people of color. Um, and in that vein, it's like you might as well be doing this to form what it is that you're looking for on the other side. So the idea is, For what it is that you want and knowing that this business is going to be built on the back of your blood, sweat and tears, define what you need and what you want up front before you get into it. So, you know what you're working toward. Um, And the other thing I would say is for people that are coming into this game cash strapped, right? Like if you do have somebody who wrote you the million dollar check or even the half a million dollar check or even the hundred thousand dollar check towards your round, that's going to help you do whatever, then yeah, okay, you can be building the businesses that are, you know, um, I'm going to make money off of ads or whatever, the kind of things that require massive scale, um, in order to be profitable. If you are coming into this game with very little money, that is not the business model for you. This is also a thing I'm going to shout out for Tara because she has an entire kind of, um, like way in which she tries to help people really think through and define what their business model is. Um, Danielle does some of this too. It's like, you know, you really need to think about how you can charge money more quickly, how you can charge a more premium price and how you can leverage those things in order to be able to get money back into the business to keep funding your operations as quickly as possible. Right. If you actually do successfully get from your idea to generating revenue and you can then maybe at that point optimize your, your business model for a way to scale it to a to a higher level. And then you want to go out and raise money. Like no investor is going to turn you away when you're making money hand over fist. And that you can prove your business model. You can prove that you have a customer that's ready to buy it. That's that's That puts you in a position of power. It gives you more options, right?
0: Yeah. No, okay. and it gives yeah. you... A flexibility that if you've taken somebody's check so going back to the reason VC money works in the ways that it does and has certain requirements is because they themselves have to have a return on investments for the limited partners that they have if they are not able to prove that their model and expertise is working they go out of business right so when you don't have somebody calling you up and asking you where are your monthly numbers and what is it that you're doing and they're not showing up at your doorstep You get to build your company in a very different way. And when you also are working with people who do not understand your market or your cultural competency and trying to meet that market's needs, and you're not having to educate that person on the importance of why this product needs to be, then you're not wasting your time also. You're serving the market. You are serving the people and your customers with the product that they want. And that is a very different way of working because you don't have to prove that you're legitimate to a customer. The only way you're, you're gonna prove to a customer that you're not legitimate is if you have a bad product. But to prove to an investor that you are legitimate enough to get their money, that is a very different conversation and relationship. A customer wants to know, did this thing work? Did it solve a problem that I have? Am I willing to pay for it? How much am I willing to pay for it? Those are the questions you have to ask yourself when you're trying to look at your revenue
1: streams. So there it is. Gather info. Right. Um, I'd also say gathering the info is to do that research on the problem you are trying to solve, um, which also dovetails into the next thing about gathering people um, to the question you were asking earlier, Dell. So you need to you need to be solving a problem. Right. In any business you're trying to create, you are trying to convince people, whether they be actual consumers, like everyday individuals or whether it be. Organizations like uh, companies, right? So that's B2B is business to business. That's a, a way that you sell. And then there's B2C, which is business to consumer. Uh, that's another way to sell. So individuals or organizations, one of those two. But you have to fundamentally be solving a problem for them. Um, yeah. You have to be providing a solution to them and that it has value to them. And that is in turn why they give you money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding the problem you have to solve. So start talking to people about that problem and what the issue, the issues are that are adjacent to that. And then I say because it's 20 mother effing 18, like you got to be <laughs> you got to be on the and on the internet like talking about this problem and your ideas around this solution. I'd say at an early stage if it's just you and maybe maybe one other person but probably just you just pick one one social channel to focus on Instagram, Twitter, Medium, Facebook, whatever, and and start talking about these issues. Um, you know, because you should be trying to solve a problem. You want to establish your and flex what your expertise is in the space that you're working on, uh, and I think that this is where content marketing comes in. That can be engaging. It can be educational. When you're when you're looking to to start monetizing your business as quickly as possible, you're you're basically putting feelers out there for people to discover you with the content by talking about it, specifically on social media where other people can amplify this conversation. When people care about it, they're going to want to gather around and see like, OK, what's over here? What you got? Right. Um, Yeah. And, and I think that that is the key part, right? It's like starting to grow a community of people that you know you can offer your solution to when you're ready to offer it. And you can yeah. start doing that work before you have written a line of code or you know, figured out or started to build or prototype the actual product. I encourage you to do that. Um, and the thing that you can do, which is a very, very, very simple step, is to create a one-page website with a wait list, like capture the information. Uh, It really just needs to, you know, like whatever the name of your business is and maybe a tagline and a Mm -hmm. two sentence blurb and a little form field that says, give us your address if you want to learn more when we launch and start collecting those email addresses. It can just go right into like a little spreadsheet on Google Docs and then when you're ready, to send out your first uh, emails and newsletters to folks. Like you've already got an audience, you've got people to start talking to about what they can be a part of. So then that takes us into prototyping. And I love when, um, when Tara talks about this too. She says that your job is to answer these three questions. One is, does anybody want this? Two is, what features are important? And three is, will people pay for, it, for this? there are so many things that I think we can get bogged down with in the beginning. And I, I often have founders come up to me and kind of say, okay, I've got an idea. I know I want to start a business. What do I do? (laughs) Like, how do I like get from, from right now to like something that's out there and working and people are using it. Gathering people is, is key. And then once you've gathered them around, we, we, We need to start, you got to start prototyping, you got to start building something. But those three questions that are so important, does anyone want this? Number one, what features are important? Number two, will people pay for this? Number three, those are the three things you need to be asking yourselves and finding the answers to. And until you actually know the answers to those questions, like everything that you do should be focused on finding the answers to it. And so I think that there's other equivalents to this, even when we look at it for, um, you know, more of a a tech enabled or a software business. And there's so many awesome tools that exist out there. I mean, for for virtually anything that you want to do. But again, like the idea is just like getting that validation for the idea as quickly as possible. It doesn't have to be scalable at that point. It doesn't even have to be fully baked. It doesn't even have to all fully work right you just need to have something that is going to answer the question about like whether you have gotten people closer to solving that problem
0: the thing is that so often folks that are coming up with ideas don't necessarily come from that world and so you have to learn supply chain management right uh and this is my way of shouting out you know lisa with uh the supply chain management uh, meetup that's happening up in new york uh you guys should check it out and, and join them you know, go to some meetups around that. Learn about how that happens, how that's financed, how you can have a small batch created, built out, how you can test out some things. How is it gonna actually get built? And I think like that's one of the things that I highly admired about you when you were building out Tinsel, the first prototypes, the first pieces, you had to figure out those pieces around like, how am I going to get this from point A to point B? How much is it gonna cost me? How am I gonna finance it? How am I going to think about it? How am I going to source it? But I'm also, how am I going to price it, right?
1: But yeah, so anyway, like connecting the dots. So we said gather info, gather people, start prototyping. So now this is also the point. You've got something that you've put together that at least starts to illustrate or give people the illusion or mimics the experience of the solving of their problem, um, that solution. Go back to your wait list that you've been collecting start inviting them in, um, start letting them kick the tires, choose maybe some small segments of that group at a time so you can get some fresh eyes on it each time because the other thing you're going to start to do is iterate. Um, and that is getting that feedback from people and realizing what's broken or realizing how they actually want that experience adjusted and being able to to make those changes uh, and, and, and send new people in there until you feel like it's right until you found that right fit so so then that comes into our next step which is which is monetization so i'd say you know even as early as when you start prototyping you could maybe do this depending on what your your business is but you know you have to at some point ask people to give you some cash um, so if you're going through those questions that we said, like if you've adequately proven that this is a thing that people want, uh, or at least you're in the neighborhood of giving them something that they want and see value in, you figured out why it's important to them, you're going to find out if they're going to pay you for it. Like, and the best validation you can have is not investors who write you checks. It is a happy paying customer and you need them to exist and you need to continue to grow them. Um, and keep the ones that you already have happy, um, so that community that you had been working on building—you've teed these people up, you've answered their prayers by what it is that you have created. So now you start monetizing them by asking them to, you know, pay for pay directly for the thing that you've created. Or um, you could crowdfund from them. And there's all kinds of things uh, that exist today with crowdfunding. Crowdfunding is also really hard. Uh, And actually, even at the time, equity crowdfunding had not really kind of come to life yet.
0: So equity crowdfunding means that you're gathering a series of payments or engagements or support from people financially for the thing that you're trying to build. So there's a lot of crowdfunding platforms out there where people are like, I wanna put together a movie or I wanna do a video or I wanna sell headphones or "I, I have a product that I've created. And it's become a way in which companies finance the ability for them to go out and build the thing that they wanna build. So you pay for a thing in advance or you pay for access or opportunity with uh, a company, whether it's hardware, like I said, film, video, music, there's a whole bunch of different categories that have been very successful in crowdfunding. Equity crowdfunding means that you're actually getting people to invest in your company. You're not just getting cash and uh, buying, uh, the buying of your product or access to your product or access to the thing that you're putting together. You're actually paying, they're not just paying for it, you're actually selling shares in your company. That's a very different thing. You're actually asking for people to become investors. So when you're looking for that, you have to realize you're going to have to send out financial disclosure forms. You're going to have to make sure that your investors are happy with what's going on in your company. And so it is a different way of looking for investment. It is an alternative mode of financing um, that goes beyond the traditional kind of VC or angel route. Um, It allows people who have less than a million dollars in assets to invest in companies. Uh, It was part of the Jobs Act that Obama enacted in his first term, um, that actually signed in his first term, but it did not become a thing until he was on his way out because the Security and Exchange Commission wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to become a Ponzi scheme, that people weren't going to be creating companies, getting people to invest in it, and it wasn't an actual company. So there are certain requirements that are out there and there's a couple of different platforms that are out there that you can engage in finding investors, but you are going to have to be the one that goes and looks for these investors and convinces them to put anywhere from $100 to $10,000, um, uh, depending on how much money they make, how many assets do they have, um, and that there are certain caps on how much people can invest if they have less than a million dollars in assets. So. I suggest that you do your research when you're looking at equity crowdfunding um, because it isn't just a crowdfunding campaign that you're running. Um, and sometimes it's better to run a crowdfunding campaign because people are going to have access to your product and you're not necessarily be getting a series of investors.
1: That's, that's the monetization part of it. And then execute. So you've got people, you, you understand what it is that you're solving for people, you understand what it is that's providing value to them. You're starting to realize that people will now pay you money for that. Um, and at any point that I feel like you have not nailed any of these things, like you got to kind of go back um, to figure out who it is that wants this thing. What is important to them, and what will they pay for? Because once you figure that out, then it's time for you to kind of double down on the execution of that. So we talked about iteration, and I think that iteration is is what follow. It's kind of what proceeds and what follows. Um, like execution, I think is is an ongoing practice uh, for a company, and that is really delivering fully on on the promise of what your product is supposed to be and providing that to people so that once you get to that point, you can start to then really focus on scale. You can start to really start thinking about optimizing it for increasing the number of people you can serve. Um, And then I would say at that point, that may be a point where it could be interesting for you to start thinking about trying to get in front of investors and seeing if you can raise money for it, if it has proven itself to be something that you think is going to be of interest to them. And I think that, Even then, if you don't want to go the investor route, which is still perfectly fine and okay, looking at other funding sources also becomes something that's a little bit more uh, possible through that way. And I would even say, you know, when we start thinking about small business loans, when you start thinking about, again, the crowdfunding parts of it, I think that the public in general, that would be crowdfunding. They love to see proof points of success and can be... I would say easier to convert, particularly if they're already the people that would be your best customers to put money and help you kind of get that going. But the idea is that like basically through being able to generate revenues for this company, you're providing a way for you to continue to sustain this business because in the beginning, remember, you would have asked yourself those questions about what it is that you need, including how much do you need to be able to continue doing this work? And then also how much you need to go back to be able to reinvest in that company so i think that that and in summary is the model that is gathering info gathering people prototyping monetizing execution and iteration
0: um you've got to enjoy yourself you got to enjoy yourself you got to take care of yourself you still have to have fun you still have to like enjoy the thing that you're doing because that's going to show your customers are going to feel that your product's going to you know, it's gonna be different. Having a mindset about how you take care of yourself, how you engage with other people. If you're not enjoying it, you need to ask yourself why. If you're not enjoying it, you need to like take the moment to take care of yourself. Cause you know, it's not worth it. If not, it's not worth it if you're not having a good time.
1: I guess since we're kinda like talking about some pro tips, I also wanna offer another thing out there, which is that you always have to be learning. in this age that we live in, you have to always be honing new skills. You always have to be thinking about what is the the new emerging opportunities in this, this market or this industry or this vertical that you're operating with for your solution. I also want to say uh, a thing about managing your money. I think that half of the game for what we were doing with with Tinsel that got us to actually getting that product to market is, you know, knowing that we didn't have a ton of money to work with and managing that, as I like to say, with surgical precision. I think that you really have to make sure that you're spending time uh, on projecting your cash flow as much as you can, getting to know your budgets. Like you need to have somewhere, even if it's just a spreadsheet or I mean, I, if a spreadsheet is too much for you, like write that crap down on a piece of paper. But like what your budgets are, like how much money you're spending on everything each month and how much money is coming in and where you can make adjustments to that. Um, and
0: who do you have to pay, including the government? What do you have to pay? When do you have to pay it? Managing all
1: of that. And then my last pro tip is going to be my my don't boil the ocean tip <laughs> because this is a thing that I think almost oh, yeah. all entrepreneurs fall into where you feel like everyone is my customer, the entire world. Um, or maybe not the entire world, but like everyone who's a woman mm-hmm. obviously needs this thing. Um, and so if yeah. you can find that one very specific profile of a person that you know how to sell to and you can nail that and you can repeat that yeah then you start there and then you can expand it but get really good at doing that thing that you're really laser focused on for that niche of people and grow it grow it grow it grow it from there yeah so
0: and that by being targeted in niche doesn't mean that your whole business has to be targeted in a niche it just has to start out there and i think that's so often people think that I don't wanna be a niche, niche product. I wanna be able to serve a whole group of people. And that is could be your goal, but you gotta start with a specific group of people and understand what are their needs. Serve it really well before you go on and you grow.
1: Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> okay. So that is our model. Before we go though, we have to we gotta do our bubble hopping. We gotta bubble, hop to a new bubble. Hop, <laughs> we're hopping, hopping, hopping to a new bubble. So I am an, a lover of, of the triple crown races. Um, so bubble hopping, by the way, y'all, bubble hopping is the segment that we um, we're doing. We love uh, kind of trying to get ourselves out of our bubbles, out of the, the typical black and brown bubble, out of the typical tech bubble. We're just going to like explore and talk about something else for a quick moment. And I want to talk about horse races today. Um, so, if you can believe it, um, this is the the Triple Crown races are definitely a thing in my family. They have actual competitions for people who like basically make very like studied, educated like. You know, bets or guesses on on horses that could win races, or, because there's all kinds of information that you have that that's you can right. the
0: way that I think about it is understanding the physiology and psychology of the horse, the rider, mm-hmm. the relationship they have, and being able mm-hmm. to do a sophisticated analysis.
1: Yes, and so there's three races. One is the Kentucky Derby. yep. One is the Preakness mm-hmm. and one is the Belmont Stakes. And it's a very rare thing that one horse wins them all. Oh, oh, yes. Right? Um and this year, Justify won the whole shebang. So it's it's a really, really awesome thing. The Kentucky Derby, I think maybe some people would have heard of because it's you see the people biggest dressed one.
0: up. It's the biggest one. Yeah. I mean, that's the one like it's that one and the Belmont the Stakes one. are the two that I've heard of. The other one I was like, What?
1: Yeah. But, like, it's, it's really, really cool. They all got three very different vibes to them, too. But, I mean, I think it's becoming more of a big thing. Like, there's a ton of celebrities that pop up at the Kentucky Derby now. Um, but you, like, they wear these really, like, yeah. ornate hats. Yep. Um, it's become
0: a scene. It's become yeah, a thing. And you know? Exactly.
1: You get really fancy dressed up. You wear seersucker. Um, there's roses everywhere. Yep. It's beautiful. You drank mint juleps, because um, it's in Kentucky, so there's a very heavy like bourbon presence and like southern food. Get some hot browns, which are basically like these sandwiches that have like like ham and cheese and like a creamy sauce. It's just like it's not health food. Derby pie, which is basically like a chocolate chip brownie made into pie form. Derby pie, hot browns, seersucker, roses, hats. big hats. I feel like I'm always talking about hats, Put a bird on your head. So it's a it's fun times, and I can't wait. I don't really watch sports, but that is like that's my sport thing. So uh, this has been our podcast. Thanks for joining us, episode number two, y'all. Yep. And uh, just to to give you just a little reminder mm-hmm. of our wonderful sponsor who made this possible aslo a-z-l-o you can go to aslo.com hey hey and check them out a zero free small banking business platform that helps entrepreneurs like us start grow and succeed on their own terms because financial freedom is deciding your own future uh thank you to them thank you thank you thank you And also, uh, go to blackandbrownfounders.com or look us up on social media at BB Founders. You can follow us, you can leave us a rating, and you can donate on all of the things. Yes. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It was edited and produced by Alejandra Martinez, our lovely producer. We love and her. The song, Go, Alejandra. And our theme song by the wonderful Madison McFerrin. Yes. We are your hosts, Ania Williams.
0: Del Del Medina.
1: We'll catch you next time.
0: Take care.